HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. The great state of Wisconsin is home to the only master cheesemaking program outside of Switzerland. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you? HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that really make a difference. It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, Roberta's? Yes, 100%. I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together. I think getting more people excited about good, local, well-crafted food and away from big ag and tasteless commodity food is so important. It's kind of an honor to be sitting there with somebody in a space where so many other people have sat. Join HRN's vibrant community of thoughtful eaters. Become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere just so happens to be Bushwick. Bushwick. Um, I am not Kat Johnson, believe it or not. You're also not Katie Mosman. And I'm not Katie Mosman Walter, and neither is this person next to me. I'm Hannah Forden. I'm HRN's program manager. Katie is on her way over, but today we have some uh, special guest hosts. Do you want to introduce yourself, sir? Uh, I'm Matt Patterson. I'm the lead engineer at Heritage Radio Network and sometimes an interloper on HRN Happy Hour. Yeah, the more the merrier, really. Yeah. We like to sardine can as much as possible into the studio. But I'm not the person you meant when you said special guest. Yes, we have an extra special guest <laughs> who is visiting us from Charleston, one of our dear friends, um, Steve Palmer. Hi Thank there. Thank you so much for being with us. So happy to be here. Um, and we're really excited to talk to you about your new book. Um, I know you've been on a crazy media tour. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what show you were just on? Uh, <laughs> just on an HRN Heritage Radio Network show. Yes. So if you want even more Steve Palmer, you can tune in to the next episode of Opening Soon. That'll be coming yeah. next week. Yes. Um, but before we get started, we have a few announcements and headlines for you. Um, as you've probably heard, it is our annual end-of-year fun drive. 
which means that we're turning to all of you, our community of listeners tuning in from all over the world. I think we have like 155 countries um, to ask for your support. Uh, we are a listener-supported, member-supported, independent nonprofit, and we need every single cent we can get to keep making Revolutionary Food Radio for the next year. We've been doing it for a decade, and uh, we have a lot more stories to tell. So please join us. Join our community by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. We've got some awesome member gifts available for you. Um, and truly, every dollar makes a difference. We are a very small team, four full-time staff members. Truth. 35 weekly shows run by volunteers who are experts in their field. So please join us. We'll appreciate it very much. And now, shall we slip into some headlines? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Can we get some news music? Oh, there we go. Yes, feels good. Uh, first up, the Farm Report. This year, the Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture launched a regenerative farming fellowship program in partnership with the National Young Farmers Coalition. Uh, in this episode, two of the farmers from the inaugural cohort, Drew Blankenbaker, a vegetable farmer from Montana and the founder of the Farmland Company, and Kelly Plack, herd manager at organic grass-fed dairy Plack Organic Acres in Wisconsin, join host Lisa Held in studio, along with NYFC co-executive director Sophie Akoff. They discuss how they've implemented, uh, they are implementing regenerative practices on their farms, the economic and climate-related challenges they face, and what the term regenerative means to them. And there's going to be a lot more coverage coming from the Young Farmers Conference um, probably end of this week, early next week. We did some live interviews on site there, so keep your eye out. Um, and another headline for you um, from Speaking Broadly, in light of the onslaught of articles calling for cutting back on meat consumption, host Dana Cowan spoke with one of the country's preeminent butchers, Philadelphia-based Heather Thomason of Primal Supply Meats, about her chosen career. Um, Thomason describes her transition from dancer to designer and finally to butcher in a way that makes this windy path seem inevitable somehow. She also explains the importance of rotational grazing and how this approach to farming can, in fact, improve the land rather than destroy it the way industrial farming does. That sounds very interesting. Mm -hmm. And on Bushwick podcast, it's the season finale, and they are closing out the year with a look into one of the most quietly radical movements gaining momentum in Bushwick and across New York City, a program that allows members of the community to directly determine how their tax dollars are spent. I believe it's one million tax dollars. That's that's a lot of tax dollars. Yeah. Um, and on the main course, OG Patrick Martins, HRN's founder, pulls in Trig Brown, who also, fun fact, was an HRN intern back in the day, um, and he is now the celebrated co-owner of Winson and Winson Bakery. Um, and I guess Trig was helping to host the show this week. They spoke with. Uh, Trig's locally sourced guest, Dom Missana, who is a musician and producer extraordinaire. They dissected Eater's recent article on the Good Food 100 while touching on inspiration, the believability of plant-based meat, and much more, as I'm sure. And Trig has actually been on a trio the last three main course shows, so if you can't get enough of Trig, he's like a, he's like a, he's a co-host almost. I can't get enough of Trigg's salty donuts. Steve, have you been to Winson yet? No. So Winson is not that far from here, 
And okay. the next time you hit this studio, we'll get lunch. We'll Salty just we'll donuts. put on we'll put on a rerun okay. and we'll just walk over there and we'll just eat donuts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah, they have Quite like good. a black sesame donut that's yeah. salt and sweet. It's so a mochi. Good. There was a mochi thing going on. Yeah. It was, it was, there's got a lot of good stuff. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Say when. Say <laughs> when. Um, so let's move on to the... Oh my goodness, Katie's here. It's a Katie. Let's all welcome Hi. Katie. Hi, Hi Katie. Katie. Hi, Steve. Hi. I'm so excited you're here. You got stuck in the same traffic. Oh, I, I was... Yeah, <laughs> Same <laughs> Katie arrived just Absolutely. in time to start. I've already done all your lines. Yeah, we already all did right. the headlines, and now we're just going to get down to talking to Steve about his book. Perfect. We're I'm so a little excited. out of breath. Just ran here. That's we were okay. Some exciting IT times in the office. Awesome. We do. It's been a week full of printer troubles, mm-hmm. and it's been really fun. You can see that our, our scripts for the show this week printed yeah. out very <laughs> tiny. We did, we did this to ourselves. I could um, never read that, so God bless you. I honestly That's can why I was concentrating there. very hard. There's no way I can um, read that. But hopefully you didn't have printer troubles with Save Grace. You want to tell us a little bit about yeah, that book? Yeah, so, um, you know, Save Grace in the South is what you do at dinner time, right? Mm-hmm. It's we, You're giving thanks. Um, and so it's, it is, um, I never thought I would write a book. I'll say that, um, the tagline is how the restaurant industry saved my life. So it's all about, um, well, it's a lot about my life, which is weird. Um, people have said, well, are you happy with it? Mm -hmm. When you're reading your story, there's no way to objectively say it's a good book or it's a, it's my life. I don't know. Is that Mm -hmm. a good book? Um, it's all about my path through addiction. Um, I was homeless by 13, IV drug user, living in abandoned homes. Um, I found the restaurant business, and I really kind of say that the restaurant business saved my life twice. It was the first place that I ever felt accepted, sort of come as you are, we don't care where you've been. And that's what I always love about the restaurant business is you, you didn't need to go to college, doesn't matter where you're from, if you're willing to show up, be a part of a team and work hard then there's a place for you in the restaurant business. And um, so I honestly believe I would be dead now if I, if I, I mean, I, I don't, I know that I would be dead. So it's my story about um, the, the intervention that occurred 18 years ago where a restaurant owner gave me an ultimatum to go to rehab or, or be fired. Um, and in that way, sort of loving me when I couldn't love myself. Uh, and, and my journey through sobriety in a business that 18 years ago wasn't really supporting Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. um, it was very lonely. Uh, and really the beautiful thing that's happening now is, is not just addiction, but like our industry is finally saying, you know, look, we take care of guests every night. We have to learn how to take care of each other. We have to learn how to take care of ourselves. Um, the, the catalyst for me was, uh, one of our chefs, Ben Murray committed suicide and um so i wanted to and and we the really sad thing is the the night that ben killed himself there were three sober chefs working in the kitchen with him who would have done anything would have stopped cooking and left the restaurant Mm -hmm. if none of us knew he was struggling uh when i called his mom um and and you know didn't know his mom but had to make that phone call You know, he had been in detox six times. We had no idea. And, you know, we suffer in silence, right? I mean, it happens all the time. Depression, addiction. 
Um, the suicide rate is the highest it's ever been right now. Um, and so I really wanted to sort of, I kept thinking to myself, what was it in Ben that he didn't feel like he could ask for help? Was it just life or was it specifically the kitchen culture, the bad boy, work hard, party hard, macho thing that has long been, I think, a flaw in our industry? Um, and so from that perspective, we started Ben's Friends, which is a weekly support group uh, in Charleston that um, for sober restaurant people, people that are seeking sobriety. Uh, and, and then this, this thing that you could have never predicted happened. And, and I really, I didn't know Anthony Bourdain, but when he committed suicide, like literally overnight, when we started Ben's Friends, we thought, okay, it'll be this little thing in Charleston we'll do for, mm-hmm. um, suddenly the media started new, reaching, hey, what, what's this Ben's Friends thing? Mm-hmm. And what would happen is a chef in Seattle would read the article and go, well, I'm sober. I kind of feel alone. I want to start a Ben's Friends chapter. So we're in 11 cities now. That's so awesome. It's um, incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's really, and we'll be in four more. Matter of fact, those the people that are starting those chapters are all flying into Charleston this weekend. Um, our goal is fifty states, nice. and and we want to be anywhere that there are restaurant people that need help. Um, what we are finding three years in is just like we're already a subculture. We work at night, weekends. <laughs> you know, we're already the sort of island of misfit toys over here. Um, people feel safe walking into a room full of like, hey, I, I don't know everybody here, but there's a bartender, there's a line cook. They feel like I'm with my tribe, and so I can lay lay my issues at this table because these people know my problems. Um, and and it's really changing lives, and I don't... I, we, I co-founded it with a guy named Mickey Bass. It's so much bigger than us now, and I, I, I feel like no, I, I take very little responsibility for what's happening because you couldn't have planned it, but it's really, it's, we're coast to coast. And, um, I just keep like, let's go. Um, so it's cool. It's meaningful in life when you can look at, I was a homeless person. I used to stick needles in my arm and now that those things are now being used for good and for, to be of service to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, I almost didn't write the book, because I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit like I would never want anybody to read that book and think, oh, he's just promoting his brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is about the mission, and the mission is letting people know that they can be sober and work in this business. Because I love this business; yeah. it's so good. What was uh, the process like? Actually, sitting down and writing it's because, it, like, I mean, I've I've been in the room. I've I've listened to interviews with you. You've always been so open about your story because obviously you realize that people can learn from it and be inspired by it to make changes in their life. But I'm sure that sitting down and, and writing your life story is a very different process than, than talking about it with, you know, trusted friends, even if it's on the radio. Right. Um, so what was that like? And, and how I'm sure that you were propelled by kind of the importance of, of sharing that and being open about it what was, I, you know, I wish I could tell you it was this big cathartic experience. Really? <laughs> it was, it was really painful. Yeah. And I really like I had, so I had a ghostwriter because if I had actually had to write it, physically write it, we, it would be 20 years from now before the book came out. I'm a restaurant guy. I'm not very administratively sound um, <laughs> at all. 
Um, it's good to know your limits, yeah. You know, I always say the most powerful thing is not knowing what you are, it's knowing what you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I had a ghostwriter, and so you, you're meeting this total stranger. So he lived in Chicago, so I would fly up, we would sit at the Soho house, and I would just talk for wow. eight hours at a time. And then I would fly home, and then he would send me a chapter, and we would edit, and then... and so. It was painful. Um, you know, if you read the book, my relationship with my mother, which is a very, was a very dysfunctional relationship, is at the center. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my mom's 82 years old, so I had to, like, go sit down with her and say, listen, you may not want to read it. Um, it, it's, it was painful to write. It's going to be painful to read. My hope, uh, you know, it just came out November 19th, so so we're still, my hope is that maybe there'll be some deeper healing, because she's at a place in life where there's a lot of regrets for decisions she made. Um, so, I, you know, I can't sit here and say, like, oh my God, it was an amazing experience. It was really painful. I had a lot of mixed emotions about it. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I will say this, uh, um, I, I get an email a day from someone. I got an email from a girl my father sexually abused me. I've been drunk ever since. I read the book. I'm going to go get help. I got a Twitter message from a chef in Chicago who I've never met. So that's why. That's why the book. Mm-hmm. Um, if people can get hope. Because I am definitely not the one you would have bet on to quit drinking. I'm just not. I was seven days a week. Drugs, alcohol. I never met a drug I didn't like. You know. I mean, I was all in. And... Uh, so I feel like if I can get sober, like anybody can get sober. Uh, yeah. So it was a process. I don't see myself writing another book. You know, kind of like <laughs> fair enough. Ugh, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a cookbook. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Something much much lighter in subject. Uh-huh. You know. Um, Steve. So now you Ben's friends is expanding like crazy. Yeah. People can get in touch with you right if they want to start a absolutely in their city. Um, Ben's Friends is for folks who are working in the industry who've kind of come to some self-actualization that they want to live a little differently. Yes. How do you think about what hope is there for reaching 13-year-old you? Um, or maybe, I don't know, when, when everything started, but um, do you think about sort of the pipeline that's feeding the restaurant industry and... Is that on on the table for you as far as like what do we what do we do for kids? Yeah, you know, because one of the things, and I'm sure you're not surprised with this, I get asked a lot. Well, do you think the restaurant industry made you an addict? And I adamantly reject that. And mm-hmm. I like because I love our industry so. Like I'm violently opposed to that idea. Mm-hmm. Is it a is there is there a playground for it? Sure. I was that was in my DNA. Because here's the thing, addiction is a disease, so I was born with it. Mm-hmm. My father dying at 10 was kind of what lit the match. Um, I, you know, I look at, so it's very hereditary. If, you, if you're in the recovery community, um, you know, it's like there's dad, there's father, there's uncle. Um, my stepdaughter, uh, you know, is nine years old and her, you know, I, I'm not going to use names, but addiction runs on that side of her family and I'm looking at this nine-year-old girl and when you if you really believe there are no accidents in life she's going through all the emotions that I went through when I was nine years old so it's no accident I just got married a couple months ago I'm coming into her life and I'm seeing that that potential is there 
and I think you know. Um, listen, I you'd be foolish. It, it, tell a kid they can't do something; they're just going to do it more. So you would be foolish just to, like you're not ever going to drink alcohol. But I think it's about education, and it's about. Um, there's so much shame around alcoholism. It's about like, hey, this is a disease. It's not, we're not, I always say, we're not bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get well. Mm -hmm. And I think the more educated kids are and removing the shame of addiction away from it, uh, the more informed their choices are gonna be. Mm -hmm. I met I met it real quick on that. I, I met a 17 year old the other night and 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 uh, I was, we were talking, and I said, oh, "So do you drink it?" Part no, I, there's alcoholism in my family, and I'm just really careful about it. And I was like, "Wow, you know." And she wasn't upset about that fact. She was like, "I have the I have information, and I want to make good choices." Mm -hmm. And that's such a good strategy. Yes. For because it's hard when you have you, you know. You've peer pressure you need your line that you're going to use to decline over and over and right, over again because right. it's not like it's not going to be mm -hmm. easily accessible all the time so and i i think i mean uh you know times are changing to the point where a kid can use that line mm -hmm. and and i think it's like more known and accepted and it is um, and that's beautiful really cool. yeah because you know i just love that not only it's happening in the restaurant business but but there's just this like awareness when people say I don't drink even in restaurants like mm -hmm. now for me as a consumer last night I'm a non-drinker oh well we have this list and there's you know it's just mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. and I love that as a society because when I came out of rehab like it was not 18 years ago it was not okay mm -hmm. and and you know it's you mentioned how open I am it's really just been since Ben committed suicide I, I haven't always been I wasn't ashamed of it, but I haven't always been so like, here it is. Mm -hmm. Right. You realize it was needed. I, it yeah. was needed. I, I accidentally, the first time, and I laugh now because I, I, laughing at yourself is good medicine. <laughs> I, I had never admitted to using needles. And you know when I outed myself? My TED Talk. So on a stage with Whoa. a thousand people. <laughs> and, and later I was like. Well, that was interesting. You know, like, mm -hmm. that's yeah. an interesting choice, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, you were talking about the difference in the culture 18 years ago versus now. I imagine that there's probably a generation of people who are working in the service industry who, if they wanted to get sober and get away from that, they, they might have just... The industry lost them, probably. I imagine they walked I know, away. I know, I know a dozen people who were in the business got sober and, and they never came back. Because mm -hmm. it was just not like you just... And, and people in the recovery community would actively, oh, you got to get out of the restaurant business. And all of that's changing. And it's yeah. so cool to be, to witness that. Yeah. I'm curious, what are the, like, most important steps that restaurants are making and can make and should make to foster a more healthy environment, A, for people who are sober, but also for people who might eventually become sober? You know, we've done some things, and, and I've always been very careful to not project my sobriety on everybody. I mean, my wife drinks. I don't, you know, she loves pink champagne. She doesn't have the disease. It's all good. We sell alcohol every night. So I'm always like, look, alcohol is not bad. It's just bad for me. Um, we remove drinking at work, period, for the staff. And I kind of threw that out three years ago and was totally okay if there was pushback. 100% of our managers and chefs were like, absolutely. So the kitchen beers, 
the shift drinks, mm-hmm. all the time-honored stuff um, that does build camaraderie and, and all the good things, but it also continually promotes this drinking, 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 you know, and so... And that's how you relax at work. That's how you relax. That's the only option. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it creates a weird incentive, too. I remember when I was, when I would have shift drinks, I always felt like, well, this is part of my compensation. I basically, I'm going to have this shift drink, damn it, because, like, it's part of my pay, It's part of my pay, and so we've done that. We've brought wellness in, yoga, mindfulness, all kinds of things, and, um, you know, listen, we're all, every restaurateur talks about being short-staffed. We need more people in the industry, not less. Mm-hmm. We need more people to view our industry as professional and somewhere where you can have a career, not, oh, I'm just doing this till I figure out what I'm doing. Um, and so wellness, sobriety, um, and, and it's amazing. You know, I, I believe we are getting better, better people that want to work for us because of it. Because, you know, there, there, let's face it, there is still some very unhealthy, toxic cultures in our business. And good people want to be around good people, you know. So we've had all these really kind of cool things that have happened as a result of it. I'm a big fan of it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Hmm. So what kind of, I mean, if you've, take, you've taken shift drinks out of the equation uh so what what are these like wellness initiatives that you've put in so we we you know we're being a restaurant group you know can get criticized at times but there's there's things that are really positive about it um so we supply yoga classes and people can go and there's no charge um you know we, we have we're we're starting to do guided meditations haven't quite gotten the reception that we, I was hoping for, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm a practitioner sometimes. I always feel better when I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those kind of things. We're helping employees buy homes, which is not necessarily mental health, but it is well-being. Can you talk about the detail of that program? Uh, yeah, it's so cool. Uh, yeah, so, so we, I was walking by a server at the Macintosh in Charleston, and I overheard her say, yeah, my mortgage would be the same as my rent, but I don't have the down payment. And I went, well, if that's the only thing, she needed $10,000, which is not a small amount of money. But again, being a restaurant group, that means something different. And so we took $100,000 and we put it in a pot. And we said, okay, this is, it's a finite amount, but we will loan you your down payment interest-free so we make nothing on it. You have to pay it back in three years. And, and by limiting the pot, we sort of said, okay, community, Indigo Road community, when the money's all out, your friends need to pay it back so you can then borrow the money. And I had some cynical people say, oh, they'll default, people will quit. We've had 100% of the people, we've never had anybody default on the loan. Wow. And so we've helped um, nine people buy homes now. It's incredible. Which is pretty cool, yeah. right? I mean, and, and by the way, as a group, and I mean like me and my two investors, Let's be real. It didn't cost us really anything. I right. Mean, it, it. I mean, my life. That's I, money you would have had in a savings account. You it, would have had it in a bank account. It would have somewhere, been there right? somewhere, and mm-hmm. it, it didn't change the three of our lives mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And that's such an amazing example to set. I think and, to just show I, that that's possible. It, didn't it, it absolutely ruin your business. <laughs> it, it didn't. It didn't kill us. And you know, you can't always just say, "I'll pay you more." Right. I'm going to pay you more than everybody because. That's just not reality. But the the little things you can do to tell your employees you care about them will pay for therapists. So if you need to go see somebody, we'll hundred percent pay for you to see a, a professional therapist. And 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 I, it's funny, 
it's anonymous, so I, I, I don't even know who, I, I see the bill in our office, but there are no names, so mm -hmm. I don't even know, but that's a resource that is open to anybody that needs to go see somebody, we'll pay for it. Does Indigo Road have documentation that they share with other biz businesses about what you provide? Like if somebody wanted to take that template for uh, we, treating we, people better? We totally would. Nobody's asked, but mm -hmm. yeah, sure. I would absolutely do that. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, listeners. Yes, Hit up Steve. Send Steve some uh, emails. Yeah. Steve, so you, you got married. I it looked got beautiful. You seemed so happy. Um, I married the... Oh, gosh, she's so amazing. So you um, have had some really beautiful posts about kind of pinching yourself to be in your current situation. So your managing partner... Uh, Indigo Road has 16 20, restaurants. 20, 20, you yeah. just opened, because you opened... Indaco and Charlotte just yep. opened, yeah. Yeah, so uh, things look pretty good for you. They are. You have a beautiful wife, you have a beautiful family, and you said that you never thought you would have those things. So, uh, you know, how, how are you kind of feeling on a day-to-day -day basis, and, and sort of what... What are you most excited about? And then also, like, what's what's on your mind? And what are you kind of set to work on next? Is it expanding Ben's Friends? Is, is yeah, there something else? Yeah. yeah, so we don't have any openings this next year. And it'll be the first time in eight years. Wow. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been in my other oh, team is like, thank God. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I... Um, Addiction does a trick on the mind, right? I mean, it, it tells you you're not worth anything. It tells you you're never going to have good things in your life. And even though I've been sober a long time, that doesn't go away the day you quit, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that end up addicted. There's there's a reason. Psych there's, there's psychological damage that happens. Um, so, I, yeah, I still to this day have these little moments where I'm like, oh, my God, I have a family. Like... You know, that's just, and, and to many people, that's like, oh, well, I always knew I was going to have kids. I didn't. Um, and my family's extremely broken. And so to the, now have a wife and a daughter, um, it just is mind-blowing. So I'm very grateful. Um, I really want to pour a lot of energy into my stepdaughter because, well, she I'm hurt. She's my daughter. She doesn't want me to call her uh, stepdaughter, which I love. She calls me Stevie. Um, it's so good. And so, yeah, I wanted a lot of energy on her this year. The Ben's Friends is just like, the, you talk about purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing more important to me. When you watch somebody, Katie, and I'll, I'll use her name because she knows that I were, she just celebrated three years of sobriety. And like, the, the, the mental picture of her on day one and the girl that comes every Sunday, to, like, it's, it's shocking. And when you realize that you have the opportunity to impact people's lives in a positive way, I mean, I, there's nothing that gets me out of bed. I, and I love my day job. The Indigo Road is, is obviously the foundation. But this coming year is really going to be about giving back in a deeper way. But And so it sounds like a lot of the growth of Ben's Friends is going to be sort of organic and grassroots. Like people are going to come to you and basically be like, I would like to open yeah, so a what, chapter. What we need are two people that have been sober two years or more and a place to hold a meeting. So anyone in New York that's hearing this, <laughs> we would love to be in New York. You know, what happens is somebody will read an article and we get 50 emails. We respond within 24 hours and then four, you know, there's some well-intentioned 
And so, it, and it's, it, it, it happened, you got to have two people that are committed, mm-hmm. that are really like, yes, one of us will be here every week, because the worst thing that could ever happen is you say, we have a meeting Tuesday at 10 a.m., and somebody who really needs that meeting shows so up and there's nobody there. there. Mm-hmm. So we, we, but, but it doesn't, doesn't cost money, we, we literally just need a place to hold the meeting, and two, and two sober people. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I want to be everywhere that we can and you said people were flying down to you this weekend so they're they're training with so you yeah or? yeah training is loose they'll they they come they'll come to a ben's friends meeting in charleston so they just kind of see the format and then we pick a launch date then either mickey or i will attend so i was just in seattle last month launching there and then we try to reach out to the local media just to get some awareness about the meeting um, there were 39 people at the first meeting in Seattle. So, I mean, it's uh, Columbus, Ohio, there were 49 people. I mean, it wow. was like standing room only. We walked in and oh my God. we're going to need a bigger menu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty organic process. It doesn't, it just, we just need dedication and time more than we need anything else. And what's the contact process for somebody who wants to start a chapter? So go to bensfriendshope.com. And all of it, that's our website, and everything's right there. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We're okay. going to come back and subject you to a little bit of trivia. Oh, cool. I like trivia. <laughs> so we'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that 90% of Wisconsin's milk is made into cheese? And this is not just any milk. When Swiss, German, and Italian cheesemakers first settled into Wisconsin, they chose their new home because of the special terroir of the region. Its soil and water are nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin produces 25% of all cheeses made in the U.S., and Wisconsin cheeses have won more awards than any other state or country in the world. How did they do it? Wisconsin cheesemakers combined their heritage and tradition with nonstop innovation. They were the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. Wisconsin is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of these impeccably high standards mean Wisconsin produces more than 48% of the nation's specialty cheese. Welcome back to Happy Hour. 
where we are sitting here with our friend Steve Palmer happy, talking happy. about his <laughs> new memoir, Save Grace, which everyone should please please go buy it. Yes. It's amazing. It's on Amazon. It was number one. It was a number I know. One. I was going to bring this uh, up. I mean, that's You're crazy. You're a bestseller. <laughs> that's so weird. It's incredible. It's so well deserved. But you also, you've been on this insane media tour. I saw a picture of yeah. you with Steve Forbes yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what have been some of your other stops? I'm, I'm uh, glad HRN has factored into this twice in one day. Yeah, no, this is the beginning of the media tour. So, oh. so we go from now till May, which is a little insane. Um, a lot of public speaking, you know. Uh, we, it finishes at the National Restaurant Show mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago. Um, Good so, for you. yeah. So, I'm excited. Fabulous. Well, before we let you fly back to Charleston, we have to subject you to some very special trivia. Um, neither Matt nor Katie have seen the questions, so you can always phone a friend. Um, oh, I get a lifeline. Yeah, everyone's on your team. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're all Team Steve. So. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so, the, the theme of trivia this week is memoirs okay so apropos should be fun yeah um so our first question is whose memoir sold over 10 million copies in 2018 now the date is is like the important part to think about barack obama close michelle obama ding 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 i like that (laughs) perfect um, it sold 10 million copies. 10 yeah. million. How many? Are you at nine? That's for Steve. Pa- yeah, 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 Steve's yeah. only a nine and a half. Yeah, that, <laughs> not even close. That's powerful, man. Yeah. Wow. I good, mean, good for her. What an incredible woman. Yeah, she's an yeah, icon. Yeah, I mean, what, well deserved. Um, and this one is probably going to be a, an easy one for you. Um, what is the name of Anthony Bourdain's memoir about the restaurant industry? Kitchen Confidential. That one. Yeah. That was, and that a, was gimme. a gimme. Yeah. That was too easy. We just wanted to make that sure you That was a layup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did, did you read Kitchen Confidential? I did. Like, when it came out? I did. Is it what? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I loved his writing style, by the way. No, I mean, incredible. He's, he's really, really good. Yeah, like just the best, just yeah, the best. So I love good. going back and reading his old New Yorker pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, which famous 20th century author wrote a memoir about working in the hotel kitchens of Paris? So this is an American 20th century author. Best known for some sort of dystopian. Yeah, Down and Out in Paris and London is the name of the book, and... Um, I, I I'm I am at a loss. Uh, or, uh, Orwell. Orwell. Yeah. Yeah. Then. Wow. Okay. And your final question: Which former Top Chef candidate wrote the book "Notes from a Young Black Chef"? Oh oh, um, is it Kwame? I, I Anwachi. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Who has been on many an HRN show? Yeah, you should yeah. listen to him. He's absolutely brilliant, and yeah. we love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Steve, I'm really excited to tell you that you have won trivia. Thank you. I mean, three out of four, Orwell. That was good. That yeah, was I've, re- I've read bits of that. It's weird to read, like, it, you know, it's early 20th century kitchen diary, essentially. Right. So if you want to know sounds, how, how things were made, that. it's pretty cool. Sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. Got some reading for over That's the That's the second break. item for your holiday reading list. <laughs> <laughs> Just after Perfect. Save Grace. Yeah, yeah exactly. My, my reading list is getting taller and taller. Yeah. Um, also, um... 
if you are in Charleston or Atlanta or how many cities are you We're in, officially I think in? It's five or six. Yeah. I mean, just look up Indigo Road Restaurant Group well, and you. go eat go at eat. all of them. Yeah, I mean you that's will the not thing. I'm sorry. still millions of dollars in debt. Just so I'm so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still need like Ben's friends. Yes, I still need you to eat at our restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. yeah, do it because. It'll of be all delicious. the good things, and right. because you're supporting a great job culture, right. and also because the food is delicious, and yes. you will not go wrong anywhere. No. And uh, we have been just so happy when we've been in Charleston for festivals to always go to the Macintosh and always just be so well taken care of, and everything's delicious. And um, you can dip your truffle fries in mashed potatoes there. No, like, um, like just saying, like astonishingly good, warm hospitality, which like, especially when you're visiting a city is, it just feels like, oh, okay, I'm home. Like, I'm just, I feel at home. Everyone's taking care of me. Everything's delicious. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. And a highlight of the trip always. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve, for being on HR and Happy Hour. We're big fans. We'll see you in March. (laughs) Yes, you will. I hope you're coming back. Mm -hmm. Can't wait. Absolutely. I might be toting a little tiny, teeny, tiny, teeny Our newest producer. That's okay. That's great. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. This has been HR and Happy Hour. We have one more show left this season, and then that is it. So we will be back next Thursday, the 19th. We'll have Sarah Gray Miller, editor-in-chief of Subvera Magazine, along with uh, interesting Maggie no Miller didn't yeah no relation didn't think about that when I planned it <laughs> and her dad who are creating Scottish King's Gin which you are familiar with if you attended our gala and uh, so they'll all be on together for our end of season wrap up cool. and we'll see you then next Thursday 5 o'clock Eastern thanks to Amanda Way in our studio being our amazing engineer thank you so much to my co-hosts Matt and Hannah thank you Katie See you guys next week. Yeah. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.